This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, and we'll get things started with Anthony Morbeth, who talks with Republican Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman of Arnold, who was the sponsor of a bill that clarifies that a person can be charged with homicide and had the premeditated intent to kill, even if the suspect targeted a random victim. First off, what is the reason for your bill's inception? Because I know that this was proposed not only last year, but also in 2021. Right. And actually in 2020 as well. So this is a bill that I worked on for a few years in the House before I was elected to the Senate. And it is really a very personal bill to some constituents who live in my district. So um, unfortunately, there was a really violent murder that took place, not in the district, but just outside of the district. And one of my constituent sons was murdered. Um, The man who killed him decided that he was going to just kill whomever picked him up when he was hitchhiking. And so that's exactly what he did. And the previous St. Louis County prosecutor declined to seek uh, first degree murder, saying that there wasn't an ability to have transferred intent because the killer had decided that he was going to murder somebody, but not this specific person. Well, that was a just clear misinterpretation of the the state's long history in case law. And case law has held for over 100 years that if you intend to kill someone, once you identify who that person is, then you have premeditated murder for that particular person. And so this was really clarifying language to try to bring some healing to a family who lost their loved one. Um, to make sure that no other prosecutor misinterpreted what has long been held to be the law. So, um, you know, a lot of times what we do in the state Senate or in the state house is affecting millions of Missourians. And um, sometimes what we're doing is more specific for a, a certain case or a certain situation. And so um, I'm really pleased that this was able to get done this year. It had passed out of the house consent every year that I filed it, it would make it through the Judiciary Committee. But because it wasn't a big policy push or there weren't special interests trying to focus to make sure that this became the law, it was harder to get done until I got into the Senate. And so my hope is that this brings the family a little bit of peace. Not to mention, correct me if I'm wrong, Senator, don't you have a um, uh, a, a background as an attorney or, or a lawyer as well? Yeah, that's right. I'm a practicing attorney with the Thomas More Society, which is a public interest, not-for-profit law firm that focuses on First Amendment rights, um, mostly national. So this is not really my practice area, but um, any time that we see the law being misapplied is an injustice, and I'm happy to be able to see this corrected. I was uh, reading... And I'm hoping that the governor will sign it. I haven't heard anything from his office saying that he won't. Like I said, this isn't a substantive policy change. It's just ensuring that the state statutes match the case law. And if you're just tuning in late or want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking with Republican Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman, focusing on bills that passed the Missouri State Legislature, obviously, as she mentioned, waiting on a potential signature from Missouri Governor Mike Parson. I was reading uh, some of the comments and some of the opposition or uh, potentially lack thereof that uh, people had in regards to this bill. And uh, it it posed a a couple of interesting questions uh, because this one comment here, 
basically was opposed to your bill just altogether. And and one of the reasons is that it, it could potentially make it easier to convict someone of homicide, even if they didn't specifically intend to kill the victim. What's your take on that? Yeah, that's just a, mis, um, a misinformed view. I think it's really important that the public has an ability to weigh in on the legislative process. But that particular witness was just incorrect. The state statutes are now going to match what has long been held in case law, um, which is that if you intend to kill someone and you've identified who you are going to kill, that you then have premeditated intent um, to murder that person. And, you know, it, it is something that I think that a lot of people do feel a little uncomfortable with. Um, the death penalty is something that I really struggle with. I think there are some crimes for which you can forfeit your rights, but it is inconsistently applied. And so by definition, I think unusual and probably unconstitutional the way that we're doing it. So um, I think this is bringing more clarity and consistency to what is currently legal in the state of Missouri, but I'm not a big proponent of the death penalty. And so it is kind of one of those things where sometimes you, you see yourself working in a more nuanced way. And this is about making sure that it is abundantly clear what has always been held in the law is matched in our state statutes as well. A, a follow-up, if I may, because you did bring up the death penalty. Could this potentially lead to someone maybe being punished more severely than their actions could have warranted? No, because again, this is this bill has been a consent bill, meaning it didn't make a substantive change to the policy to the law as written. So what this is really doing is trying to make sure that, this, like I said, the state statutes are matching what has long been held the law in the state of Missouri. And yeah, being making sure that we have consistency across the in the way that the law is applied. A couple of other inter uh, things in relation to this bill I wanted to ask you about. Um, obviously, it passed the Missouri legislature, but uh, what about support from law enforcement and or uh, other lawyers or, or, or things like that? Sure. So I, I owe a debt of gratitude to the Missouri Prosecutors Association, who has worked with me on making sure that this was drafted just right um, the last three years and it received no opposition. I don't think any testimony at all from law enforcement. What about uh, in this particular case, because I was taking a look at uh, the bill's text and we, we're, we're sort of taking a magnifying glass to your bill here. How does mental state or someone's mental state factor into this piece of legislation? Well, for every crime that takes place, you have to have two components. You have to have what the law calls mens rea, which is the intent, the idea um, literally the idea in your head, um, and you have to have the action. And so um, this is just making sure that, again, we've got a clear statutory authority that when someone has this intent in their mind and it matches the actions that took place, that they're going to be punished for that consistently across the state without one prosecutor relying on case law and one looking only at the state statutes. And I can't imagine statute of limitations factors into this, right? Well, we're not in any way looking at the statute of limitations for the homicide statutes. And so those are all just exactly the same. This is, you know, maybe a great example of how nuanced and small some of the bills actually end up being. And one of the things I think is that's most interesting about this bill isn't even necessarily what it does say, because it's not changing a 
a lot. It's just putting, again, into state statutes what has always been held the law, but what isn't in the statute. And that's any significant change to our homicide statutes. But also, it didn't become an omnibus bill. And I'm guessing as you're doing this series and you're working with people uh, talking about what their bills are, a lot of what they're going to say is, well, originally I filed my bill to do this small thing and then ended up doing all of these things. Because at the end of session, you you know, I'm sure that you're aware we had a historically low number of bills that were passed this year. And so people are looking for what we refer to as elected as vehicles, meaning the subject matter and the title are appropriate to put other ideas about maybe in this case, um, you know, criminal justice that they could be put in there. And I think that that's one of the things that is a real um, thing that I'm pleased about is that it did not become an omnibus bill with a bunch of different provisions in it. It was able to stay just this very narrowly tailored and drafted um, statutory change to match the case law so that there can be some healing for this family and, I'm, and consistency across the state. I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you about that. I, I think it's rather remarkable that your bill passed the Missouri legislature and it wasn't, as you called it, an omnibus package containing 30 other amendments of, of this and that and the other. And I think from your point of view as the sponsor of this, uh, that that's that's a win. Yeah, it's a huge win. And I have to give a lot of thanks to both the chairman of judiciary committees in the House and in the Senate, um, as well as the bodies on the floor of each chamber for their willingness to let the bill be a standalone bill. I think we'd be better off as a state if we had more standalone bills. I really dislike this new practice of omnibus bills, although certainly I have used them to pass statutory changes that I felt were necessary. I think we have stronger outcomes when people are able to more easily vet the bills, and it's easier to do that if you're looking at each individual bill rather than a bunch put together as an omnibus. Senator, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Republican Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman, Senate Bill 227, truly agreed to and finally passed. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, could potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Here's Heather with the weather. Well, it's beautiful out there, sunny and 75, almost a little chilly in the shade. Now, let's get a read on the inside of your car. It is hot. You've only been parked a short time and it's already 99 degrees in there. Let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands. It only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise, and that could be fatal. Cars get hot fast and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. What I remember most is the loneliness I felt. 
the separation from other people. At the end, drinking was no fun for me. Since I've started to attend AA meetings, the greatest gift is that I've become reconnected. I'm part of life again. I really like myself, and that's wonderful. AA is a miracle in my life. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. William Woods University in Fulton announced that they will be adding intercollegiate football. And joining us to talk about this exciting news is the athletic director, Steve Wilson. Steve, great to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Bill, yeah, Bill, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure, and uh, it's been exciting here the last couple of days. You know, uh, you're a, a small private college, um, and there seems to be a trend where colleges are having difficulty keeping college football programs around. So I was a little shocked to find out that you're adding football. How did this come about? Yeah. You know, um, I, I've been here about four months and I think the talk the entire time is um, how do we responsibly grow? We want to, we want to offer more opportunities to, to students, especially, you know, here in the, here in the state of Missouri um, and, and football just kept, it kept coming up as the logical next choice. Um, yes, we know it's it's expensive to add, um, but uh, we feel like we've got great backing. We feel like we've got a great revenue plan. Um, we we feel like we've got a great business plan that was put together by some good football minds. Um, and, and this is a this is an institution that's in growth mode, where a lot of institutions are not. Um, I feel blessed that we we are in growth mode and. Um, you know, it just made it made football make sense to us. When will the football team take the field? They will. Uh, the first first game will be in the fall of 2024. Um, and uh, speaking of the field, yeah, that's uh, that that's part of what we've got to do. We've got to get that going. We've got a grass soccer field right now that will be converted into to more of a multi-use facility. So uh, we have to get that done, um, and it really needs to be ready to go by the summer of 2024. Yeah, so you have basically a, a year and some change to kind of kind of get this going. We do, we do, yeah, yeah. Um, for those who don't know, William Woods is in uh, NAIA, which is the level below the NCAA, and we have quite a few uh, schools in Missouri, just from the the sports that I cover, that are in NAIA, and um, quite a few locally in Mid Missouri. How many of those schools do you know of uh, also have football? So in, in the state, it's just Missouri Baptist at the NAI level. Um, 
and they are uh, making a conference shift to the Heart of America Athletic Conference in football alone. Um, several schools, though, in the Heart of America and in our conference, the American Midwest Conference, um, that we compete with. So right now what we're looking at in terms of conference affiliation is uh, football-only membership. There is a football-only conference that's kind of within our geographic footprint. It's, it's not um, – we, we won't have uh, conference opponents – in the state of Missouri, um, if if we go to the kind of the locale that I, I think we're going to go, but it opens us up for non-conference games against uh, some of those Missouri opponents, and um, you know, so so it's it, we'll have we'll have good regional competition um, and, and plenty of games here in Fulton. Steve Wilson is the director of athletics for William Woods University in Fulton, a university that has been around for over 150 years, and will starting in 2024, have its first season of football. Steve, you said that you've been at the school for four months. Where did you come from? I, I, was, uh, I was at Kansas Wesleyan University in the middle of Kansas, which um, is in my hometown of Salina. I was there for three years, uh, but I've spent most of my career in the NAI at, uh, affiliated with Park University in, um, in the Kansas City area. Um, and then did a you know started started things out at a, a Division One school in Texas. Uh, worked for the NAI national office for a little bit, and then it was Park, and then uh, and then K Dub, and then here to, yeah. to William Wood. Yeah, so you're certainly familiar with Missouri and and Mid Missouri. How do you go about finding a coach then on the NAIA level? Well, the the, the good news is, and I, I guess it's 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 good if you're if you're everyone else, but uh, but me, I'm looking at approximately 50 resumes right now of folks that uh, showed interest in the first 48 hours. Um, I would say we've got some really qualified folks that have already shown uh, that they know how to build a program. Uh, we will start having people on campus as early as next week. Um, but uh, you, in the sport of football, um, there are a lot of football coaches out there, a lot of, a lot of coordinators out there who are ready for uh, that next opportunity. And they're hungry. They know how to recruit. They know how to bring people in. Um, we are looking for the person who's going to establish a really strong foundation here in mid-Missouri um, and then kind of get out in the region and then um, someone that, that knows how to recruit the state of Texas, the state of California, the southeast. Um, you know, those are, those are kind of the staples uh, within college football and recruiting, but um, it, is, it is vital that we take care of home first, and we will do that. We will be a, um, we will be a, a football program that will have every corner of Missouri proud of it. Yeah, Steve, I was going to ask you about that because when you're you're looking for a head coach, especially for a, a new program, I, I imagine you want somebody that will be there for, and I don't know what that number of years are, but to kind of get the program established, you're not looking for somebody that's necessarily looking to make a name for themselves so that they can bounce to something higher, too. Is that right? Right, right. Yeah. Very different than, a, than an already established program. Some programs you're going to hire a coach that – you know you might have them for two or three years, and if, if they do the job really well, they're going to win at a, at a high, high level. Um, somebody's going to take note and try and take them from you. That's, that's reality in, in our business and, and in the NAI. Um, but with this program, we are. We're looking for somebody who's going to put down some roots, um, somebody who's going to build this thing, and um, we know there will be growing pains. We know that um, you're, you're probably not going to go out and – uh, compete for a national title that first year. If we do, that's awesome. Um, it's, it's been done before where people have had some rapid success, but we know that we have to take um, 
steps in the appropriate order, and sometimes they have to be baby steps uh, to make sure that the, the program is viable for, for decades. Steve Wilson, the director of athletics at William Woods University in Fulton. Uh, they will be starting intercollegiate football in 2024, and you talked about recruiting and California and Texas, it doesn't matter the, the level, That's those are great states for uh, football. They produce a lot of uh, high school talent uh, that can go up to the next level. Where does uh, NIL, name, image, likeness, where does that come in on the NAIA level? You know, it, it, it does fit. It fits at all levels of, uh, of collegiate athletics, and it's, it's scaled. Um, it's scaled like everything. Um, we, we have a partnership with a, a great group called Open Doors that manages all of our um, all of our NIL deals for our, our, our student athletes. We have a few student athletes who are taking advantage of it. Um, you know, that, that partnership keeps you compliant. Uh, there are rules within uh, the NAI in terms of, of uh, reporting NIL deals, and, and they have to be reported to the athletic department. They have to meet criteria. There's, uh, there are, like anything in, in collegiate athletics, there are rules attached. Um, so it's great to have a great partner like that, and I think uh, we will be able to take advantage of um, some of those opportunities within our football program as it as it comes on board, and um, maybe even more so in the flag football program, is you know the, the NAI is the highest level of of collegiate flag football at this point. Well, yeah, that was going to be the next point that I I bring up. In addition to adding football, you're also adding flag football for uh, mm-hmm. female athletes. Talk about that too. Yep, that that's a spring sport, and it, it, it's one that I've been on the national coordinating committee for for the NAI for that sport for a couple of years now. Um, we were at Kansas Wesleyan. We were the fourth school to add it as a varsity sport. And, and at that point it was a little bit scary. It was, it was like, we're, we're adding this sport, but we don't know who we're going to play. Um, <laughs> enough schools jumped on board. There are, there are plenty in this area. So um, over in Kansas, you've, you've got Ottawa, who's the three time national champion. Um, St. Mary is right in their backyard in the Kansas city area. Um, then you get out West a little bit into Kansas and, um, uh, Bethel College and, and Kansas Wesleyan have it here. Here in Missouri, um, Cotty College down in Nevada has it um, as well as Midland. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna add into a group of schools that are already have a strong scheduling alliance there within the uh, the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference, which is where we would make our our application to play um, in that sport. Um, it's a very different game. It's played on an 80 by 40 field. So, so anybody that's familiar with eight man football at the, at the tackle level, um, same size there, but, but the yard markers are only the 20, the 40 and the 20. And you, you don't play for a first and 10. You play for the next yard line. So, um, it, it's, it's fast paced. The ball's in the air a lot. Uh, those young ladies are fantastic athletes and they fly around the field. It's, um, really a fun sport to watch and one that we're, we're excited to bring. Uh, to the middle of the state. And how do you recruit for that? Is there flag football in high schools, or w- what type of athletes do you get for that? Yeah, in, in the states of, you know, the Las Vegas area is very um, uh, is very much a hotbed. The southeast part of the United States, Georgia, Florida, of course, Texas is, is a big place. It's coming on in Arizona, uh, but it's catching on in, in this part of the country. Owls football is coming in 2024, and look out for flag football, too. Steve Wilson, Director of Athletics for William Woods University in Fulton. Thank you so much, and good luck. Thank you. Yeah. This Thank is you. Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri.
Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you talk and they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
This is Show Me Today, Leaf Medical, the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, and Harvest 360 are collaborating to create a marijuana micro-business lottery. Of all who apply, six teams will be selected and given the necessary advice and skills needed for a micro-business to thrive. Cameron Connor is with Leaf Medical CEO Jason Nelson to discuss why these organizations are providing this opportunity. You throw the words out there that Leaf Medical is working in collaboration with lots of other partners to create a Missouri micro-business accelerator program. That's going to hit a lot of people, and they're going to say, whoa, pump the brakes, slow down. What the heck is that? <laughs> so can you just describe, to begin with, what exactly a micro-business is? Sure. No, you're right. It's, uh, it's a unique caveat it's a situation that's a little bit different state by state. And, uh, you know, the, in essence, the, the micro-license program, as it was set up for adult-use cannabis in Missouri, does allocate licenses through a lottery to uh, neighborhoods or business uh, applicants who have been either disproportionately impacted by uh, anti-drug laws, um, you know, economically depressed neighborhoods, you know, areas that really do need that revitalization that can come from issuing a cannabis license, bringing jobs uh, to those neighborhoods. We're here with the CEO of Leaf Medical, that's for marijuana, Jason Nelson, speaking about a new opportunity if you want to get into the marijuana business. The program is titled the Missouri Microbusiness Accelerator Program, and it's in partnership with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services and Harvest 360 out of the Kansas City area. Let's talk about the Missouri Microbusiness Accelerator Program itself. And by that, so once once these lotteries are picked, you said three wholesale and then three others. What, once that happens, what are the skills? What's the advice that you're going to be giving these companies to get them that jump start once they're selected? Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, from a total perspective, I'm going to incubate six and there's no guarantee that any of those six will get a license, right? It's just a lottery. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, to your point, it really is on either the front end or the back end. There's key things that, you know, you don't want to make mistakes when you're trying to launch a cannabis business and a couple of notable ones. Um, you know, certainly, as I mentioned, key things like zoning, you know, there's restrictions around where you can put certain facilities, either production or retail. Um, there's might be local use, conditional use permitting that has to be gone through. And that once you've gone through that, it, it's a, a lot more straightforward um, to be able to share that knowledge with a new business entrant versus saying, well, um, yeah, you know, make sure you look at this. Rather, take the extra step and say, no, it's this filing. It's, it's this committee hearing that you'll have to attend. Um, and it's a little bit different by congressional districts, to be honest. And so then really on the back end, let's say uh, one of our groups does get a lottery in hand or gets a license in hand from that lottery. Um, there's multiple components to that. So there's one, um, you know, really preparing your site to launch, whether it is wholesale production, so either producing products or if it's retail. And then two, a big component that they're going to have to work through individually is how they're going to finance that build out. So it's certainly substantial capital to build out a retail environment, a bit more so for production environment to actually produce the plants. We have a strong network of uh, financiers right now, financiers, and truthfully, they're a little bit bearish on the cannabis industry, right? There's There's been some of the bigger players that have not really managed their books very successfully and, and have put quite a bit of scrutiny against the cannabis industry in general. So while we can facilitate those awards uh, or those connections to those financiers, one thing we can't do, like Belief doesn't have the capital to say help build out, you know. And, and if I if that was the relationship, you'd be tempted to say, well, yes, I can I can come up with some capital for you, but I'd like to take 10, 20 percent of the business ownership, and that defeats the entire purpose, right? <laughs> the whole point is that these are supposed to remain uh, black and brown owned businesses and focused on these communities that need that support. 
so that we facilitate those conversations. And then those those businesses with license in hand can decide how they want to go through their equity raise to be able to build out. And we're along the way. So once they, they have that element in place, we obviously help them with their blueprints, uh, design spec, whether it's retrofit or new build, um, and then backing into launch marketing plans, you know, how they're going to get themselves off the ground, how to speak to the customers that they're trying to speak to. There's there's a lot of nuances, nuances as I'm going through there that you can imagine about cannabis that it really is. It's just open disclosures of our subject matter expertise. It's trying to support them at least at minimum, as I said, not to make the mistakes that a lot of us made, you know, building out bigger cannabis, cannabis companies over the past five years. Gotcha. And thank you again for going into the specifics of it, because the reason that I wanted to get more of like a deep dive into the micro business, especially in the marijuana side of things, is because I, I, I think it's safe to say with a lot of people out there, just because marijuana is still something that's becoming new into the face of so many different states, I think that there's still a lot of unknown or a lot of gray area between how people view marijuana landscapes. And when you said micro micro business for marijuana, the, the closest thing I can think is microbrewery when it comes to beer or anything of, the, of that perspective. And I feel like in your instance here, a microbrewery, let's say for beer, is faced and looked at a lot differently than a micro business for marijuana. And it doesn't seem like they at all relate to the same regulations and things like that. But do you have any knowledge on that? Well, it's, yeah, it, you're right. I'll point out the major difference. So imagine if a microbrewery had to grow its own hop and, and yes, buy its own exactly. ingredients. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that would be difficult, right? The, that, that microbrewery wants to just take ingredients, input ingredients, use their recipes and expertise, market and brand their products as they see fit. Um, you know, so there will be similarities in that, you know, the micro licenses for cannabis, they will. They're, they're smaller production um, just by design. And that really, it can put operators in position to really speak directly to the communities that they're adjacent in, you know, and, and that's the relationship in a microbrew, right? It's it's not so much like, listen, I'm going to try to get to 10 different schnooks in, in the course of, uh, you know, the entire city of St. Louis. A lot of microbrews will say, no, I'm going to open up my microbrew. I'm going to make uh, it known to the public that we're here. We're going to work to have elevated products and elevated experience. Granted, um, there And there are some, I don't believe there's any micro-licensed consumption lounges for cannabis, although I have heard consumption lounges are, are getting some attention, you know, that they're making some progress and, and maybe for further allowances for those. So that, yeah, it is, it's a bit of a, a direct comparison with some similarities, but the biggest one being that, you know, they would, you'd have, in theory, a micro brew for beer would have to partner with a micro hops grower and then uh, and be able to get their source material. Yep, absolutely. All right. So going, going back to the Missouri Micro Business Accelerator Program itself, for anyone that's listening to this, for the potential to be selected in this lottery, where exactly do you have to go and what are the requirements in order to, I guess, be an applicable candidate for this? Yeah, great questions. Um, so really the best case scenario and, um, you know, MOCAN has a lot of information, uh, you know, Missouri Cannabis Trade Organization. They do a great job representing these things. And I have that, uh, that information sheet uh, available at beliefinequity.com. So it's B-E-L-E-A-F. I-N-E-Q-U-I-T-Y.com. And there's a link on there that can uh, bring up the information associated with the micro licenses. Um, it also has the link to apply for the Belief um, Micro Business Accelerator. And it is, that's an initial questionnaire. There's no cost to, to fill that out. So we do, we encourage anybody, hey, if you have interest, um, the best way that they can continue through the process is just to get that information. You're right, what are the choir requirements to be eligible for the lottery, for example? All of that stuff is available at Belief and Equity. Jason, the final question I have to ask you is because for anyone out there in the business sphere or specter 
that's listening to this right now, basically hearing that you are going to offer skills, advice, services for these micro businesses to hopefully maybe one day have the chance to be a productive, booming company. And yet it doesn't really seem to give Belief Medical or Sway Dispensaries any sort of uplift, any sort of incentive. I feel like that business person is going to ask, why the heck are you doing this then? So can you clarify on that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the last thing I've had some other outreach on behalf of, say, some publications. Um, and the question is, you know, I can't see how this benefits Belief, right? You know, me as a cannabis operator, you know, why why would a company do this, especially if they're making the claim that they're not going to take equity in any of the businesses that they're incubating? Should they get a license? I can't buy and sell into their, their retail brick and mortar or, or buy their source material if they're a producer. And the truth is, it's uh, it really is our corporate responsibility as a, a cannabis operator that as cannabis normalizes, we're able to bring these jobs to communities that need them. Uh, likewise, the investments that that really we've seen that success story. And it's true that the best case for belief is that we set an example that many others in the industry, corporate cannabis industry, will follow because it's true. Like the amount of challenge out there, the the amount of um, you know, really issues that we want to support um, are much bigger than Belief can manifest, but uh, the industry has this chance writ large to go through these types of exercises. This is really once in a lifetime. And it, it comes back to that corporate commitment that we talked about these micro licenses to get adult use passed uh, in Missouri. And now we need to come forth with that commitment. And the challenge is not only to uh, to Belief to to execute against what my, um, my commitments were. The truth is every other cannabis operator that's currently holding a license right now has the same responsibility to offset the damage uh, caused to uh, disproportionately impacted communities and anti-drug law enforcement. And so it is. It's, that's a component that I think it's tough for a lot of folks, especially business folks, to wrap their heads around. And it does. It's like, Listen, we're in a new age of, of corporate altruism here, that if you don't take these opportunities to diversify your assets and resources as you have a business improvement, like an adult use program, the, those opportunities are just missed, right? They, they don't come back around again. So we're excited to, uh, to honor that commitment. Definitely looks like an exciting time and a fantastic opportunity. So for anyone out there that's interested in this Missouri Microbusiness Accelerator program, applications start June 14th for this. And for those of you that are just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. We have been speaking with the CEO of Leaf Medical and also Sway Dispensaries and other conglomerates, Jason Nelson. We've been speaking about this great program here today. And Jason, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. My pleasure. Take care out there. And for anyone who tuned in late or wants to learn more, you can always find this if you search Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, wherever you get your podcast. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the middle of my game. Can't we go later? Come on, it'll be fun. It will be there when you get back. Okay, but there's no way you're going to win. Why don't you grab some water and granola bars, and then we'll see about that. You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA. Discover the fascinating world of nature right here in Missouri with Discover Nature Notes. Today, let's dive into the incredible life of beavers and their impact on our ecosystems. Most of their activity happens at night. 
Beavers build dams to create deeper water for their lodges and protect their young. These dams provide a hub for a variety of wildlife to travel, rest, and find nourishment. Explore the trail cam footage online where you can witness the diverse creatures that visit when a beaver dam is constructed at discovernaturenotes.com. Did you know that beavers mate for life and are fiercely loyal to their families? They live in colonies, including adult parents, yearlings, and kits. Beaver structures create thriving communities for wildlife species that also help with erosion, water quality, and even fire damage protection. Uncover the secret life of beavers and explore more at discovernaturenotes.com. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today. A Missouri bill aims to protect the state's livestock food supply. Lisa Nelson talks to Representative Brenda Shields of St. Joseph, who led the effort to increase the penalties for trying to tamper with the transportation of livestock. This increases the penalties for the interference of transportation of livestock. Um, I have a large manufacturing um, plant uh, facility. It, it employs 2,500 people. It's a pork processing plant in my district. And they had begun to um, have problems when they were transporting um, hogs or swine from Minnesota through the state of Iowa and into Missouri to the processing plant that people were wanting to tamper with those um, with those loads, either why they would be uh, they would they would stop the they would slow down or stop the truck. They would throw um, tainted water into the um, the truck or they would put epidermic needles into the, the hogs. And it would really affect the entire process. And so Iowa last year passed a law that was with the interference um, with the transportation of livestock. And we need to pass that same law in the state of Missouri. And we were very successful in being able to get across the finish line. Hypodermic needles. That's uh, like, I mean, to me, to me, that sounds like bioterrorism or homeland security. You know what I mean? Like if that gets into the food supply, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I think I cut you off. No, you're you're exactly correct. I mean, this has to do with people in, in the state of Missouri and in the United States expect a, a, a quality, reliable, safe food source and food supply when they go to the grocery store. And when you stick a hypodermic needle in, into a hog, and with my background working for the Quaker Oats Company for 17 years, I understand this, you know, our, our, um, 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 producers, they produce a, a healthy, safe, reliable product. Um, they ship it down to the, the individuals that are going to process it, and the processor expects that that pig hasn't been tampered, and they can go through the entire process to the plant, making sure that 
that that that pig is clean and free of of any contaminants. And if they come across one of these um, epidurian needles, the entire plant shuts down until they can find the source of where these have come. That you know the entire line is cleaned, so we lose production time. Um, but sometimes something might not be found, and that would be incredibly um, that that would really. Um, have people in the United States really questioning if our food supply is safe and reliable. So uh, reading the bill, it um, it has to do with stopping, hindering, impeding, obstructing, interfering with a motor vehicle, transporting livestock, regardless of whether the motor vehicle is moving. So, so uh, is there a language in here that doesn't, um, you know, traffic crashes happen? So does this include like a traffic crash with livestock vehicles or is that not um, a part of this? Because sometimes traffic crashes happen. Um, traffic, traffic crashes happen. And no, I do not believe if a tra- traffic accident happened that this um, would would be included in that. I guess that the language isn't necessarily clear or doesn't have that as an exemption. But, um, you know, it's up to the local prosecutors to prosecute anything that is reported as a, as a police um, report. And I, they have that discretion to determine whether or not they're going to prosecute or not. But this was mainly um, we were having right in front of the plant. Um, these trucks were being stopped by groups of people that were just stopping the truck so the truck couldn't move forward. So it was unsafe for the driver um, of, of the truck. It was unsafe for individuals that were sticking their hands into the trailers because as we were talking earlier, it's really hard for truck drivers to see up close to their truck and they could move the truck and have somebody have their hand inside the truck and that person could um, get hurt seriously. And it was really also unsafe for all those that, that want to consume any food product um, in the United States. In this particular instance, it was hogs, but as we moved to cattle processing in our state, it would be the same issue even with chickens um, that we have a lot of processors um, in our in our state right now. Um, so do you think this will deter people then from doing this type of activity? This was this was the whole point is to deter people from doing this activity. The current um, penalty for doing this in the state of Missouri was a it was a misdemeanor and a thousand dollar fine. And as we said, you find um, you know ten of your friends, um, you know, all give you a hundred dollars, and you can continue to do this all day long. You know, our penalties now for the first offense is a Class D felony, which could be up to four years in prison and a ten thousand dollar fine. But it's really up to the prosecutor and the judge to determine. Um, you know, what the penalty would be. And for the second offense, if you do it a second time, it's a class D felony, um, um, which is a more, you know, severe penalty up to 10 years in prison and still a $10,000 fine. So the goal of this is for us to keep a safe and reliable food supply and not to put people in prison or jail. And it's really just to have people think three or four or five times, you know, I'm not sure I want to fill me on my record. I'm really not sure that I want to go to prison to prove a point. Yeah, that's scary um, that this kind of thing goes on. And and like you were saying that it really does, I mean, it's going to cause a business disruption as well. You're talking about, you're talking about the economy. You're talking about jobs and that's, that's serious. So not to you're, mention that it's serious. About- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you're not. You're not just talking about jobs, but you know, if this happens often, um, 
you're going to see increased prices um, at the mm-hmm. grocery store because yeah. if you have lots of, um, you know, interruptions in production, you know, somebody has to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And um, the people that do this most of the time are talking about animal rights, but, you know, these animals are transported and it's been proven over again that these animals are, are transported in a very safe way. Um, the, the trucks are designed so that the animals um, have very little stress, and then if the trucks keep moving, they have great airflow so that all the animals are safe. Um, and yes, we do um, eat them and consume them, but they are they are kept um, humanely up until the process in which they are slaughtered for for food consumption. State Representative Brenda Shields of St. Joseph joining Show Me today to talk about her bill that would increase and criminalize those who um, interfere with the transportation of livestock um, if, um, you know, whether that's um, trying to pull over uh, drivers that have livestock in the back and they um, also put hypodermic needles in in the trailer, all of that stuff can involve the interference of uh, the transportation of these livestock. So, um, and then... What else uh, What else should we know about, about this bill? Is there anything else that you think the Missouri public needs to know about? Well, hopefully this will deter anybody from, you know, even um, contemplating wanting to interfere with this transportation of livestock. You know, we have um, Triumph Foods is a, is a great um, community partner in St. Joseph and, um, and employed 2,500 people, as I said, and, um, and we just want to make sure that they're able to continue to operate in St. Joseph. And, and this is um, one of the ways in which we can do that. So that awaits uh, the governor's action on this bill. Um, and he has until, was it July 14th, uh, to decide what he wants to do? Yes, that is correct. All right. If you are tuning in late or want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.